Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. This episode is with Ramin Karamlu, who is a star of stage and screen and TV, and you might know him as a hunky doctor on Colby City in the BBC, or he could be seen on the West End or on Broadway. This guy is all over the place, intensely genuine, intensely nice. He has an amazing origin story that I'm not even going to touch in this introduction because it's just best if you hear it from him. And just warning, we actually did continue talking after the credits. So after we wrap up the episode, just continue on to listen for a few minutes because some of the best gems are right there at the end. Before we get into this, as always, please find me online at theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me on the web at thetheaterpodcast.com. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you are listening now. Everybody, please enjoy this episode with Ramin Karamloo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One, two, three. Today's guest is an Olivier and Tony Award nominee who made his name in the early 2000s in some of the West End's most enduring productions, most notably Phantom of the Opera, of course, and Les Mis. He originated the role of Phantom in the Phantom of the Opera sequel, Love Never Dies, in 2010 before making his Broadway debut in 2014 in the revival of Les Mis. In 2007, though, he became the youngest actor ever to play the Phantom and has released multiple albums throughout the years as an independent recording artist. He hosts his own podcast called The Hang, also on the Broadway Podcast Network. And in addition to playing the dreamy doctor, Kian Madani, in Holby City on the BBC, he can be heard playing the dreamy Stavros in As the Curtain Rises at Original Broadway Soap Opera. Ramin Karamlu, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Hey, buddy. How are you, Alan? I am good. I'm good. And I I want to dive right in to, to your past because you have one of the most interesting origin stories that I have ever read about. And, you know, we've been talking, we've been texting for a while now, and we've never gotten into just like due to pandemic and COVID times, we don't, we have not had the opportunity to sit down and have a beer and get to know each other on a deeply personal level. And side note, I hope that happens very soon. So everyone, please marry, wear your masks. Um, but I want to hear, I want you to tell the listeners now your story because it's, it's incredible. It's one of those, you know, rags to riches sort of things. Well, still got a few of the rags. <laughs> we're, getting there. we're getting to the worst of riches, hopefully one day. Well, what do you want to know? Like, where do we begin? You know, born in Iran during a revolution, which, you know, history is cyclical, as they say. I think we all see it over and over again, unfortunately, during the, the turnover of the Shah. Like many Iranians and people around that time and around the area, 
So in 78, when, when I was born, it's a story that I'm careful how much I say out of respect to my father and our family and whatnot, but it's something we're exploring that we're writing now as to maybe develop into something. Oh, very cool. But I want to flip it on its head, try and find the innocence of the situation. Cause this one story of a family member that I've just sat down and finally, like I recorded the FaceTime conversation and I said, just tell me what you remember. It's ridiculous. He's think I kept saying to him, this is not true. It's insane what he went through. And um, it's something that we're obviously very sensitive of how we develop it. Cause we want to do it properly. It's one of many that happened during that time, but to make a short story long, um, we went, <laughs> escaped from Iran. It wasn't just like you leave. We had to be cunning on how we had to leave and then move to Italy, just outside of Rome. And it was an actual escape. 100% fake passports, the whole. Wow. Wow. I, I, even now, as I'm saying it, I feel nervous. I feel like my father or someone saying, shut up. <laughs> it's not a story for everyone. But I'll, I'll get his permission if we ever tell the full story. I don't think I'd be alive if if we were, if we stayed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think our family would. We were in a situation where specifically we had to get out. Um, so we, our first protocol was Italy outside of Rome. And uh, I was, I moved there when I was months old. And first couple of years, getting that taste of fine Italian food. You know, my first solids were Italian. I think that's why I've got this affinity for anything Italian. And then we from there ended up in a small town in Ontario called Peterborough, massive culture shock. And I look back on it now, I couldn't think of a bet. How did you go from Italy to, to Canada? Where did that change come from? Well, that's why I said to my father, I'm like, we're born in this beautiful, you know, Iran at that time, Persia, it was just stunning, you know, like, and it still is. It's a great, you know, put aside the political issues, as a country is stunning. And obviously Italy is too. And I said, how do you go from that to Peterborough, Ontario? And I, you know, no disrespect. And I, I can't think of a better place I've grown up. But at the time I said, what were our options? And it was Australia, um, LA, France. There was somewhere else. But then I said, somebody in that room must have suggested Peterborough, Ontario. And how did you not question? He goes, I did. But the fact that it was so obscure to him and away from what he felt was the political unrest, just a whole new start, like a blank page. I'm assuming that was his thinking because I knew he wanted just to get away from all that we experienced. And so we did. And there we are, ended up in the, at that time, never experienced cold like that. My father was like, the snow that Peterborough would get. He was like, what, what is going on over here? Wow. Oh, so, okay. Born in Iran, moved to Italy at two months old. You lived there for two years, moved to Canada, and then at age 12, saw Colm Wilkinson in a touring production of Phantom. No, it was a sit-down production. Oh, it was a sit-down? Really? Oh, yeah. I, well, I think it was meant to be, from what, now that I know Colm, I remember he said to me, I was meant to do it for six months. Five years later, he finally leaves the show, but the production lasted I forget now. I think it surpassed 16, 17 years. It's a long time. I think what stopped the production and many productions in Toronto at the time, funny enough, was a virus, the SARS virus. Oh, right. Right. I remember back then it was Broadway's sister. You know, so many shows started there. Fosse, Ragtime, Showboat. Now, not so much. 
so that so that was your that was sort of your awakening and i i sort of imagine um you know you sound like you're close with your family and i suspect that your parents at the time were you know told you the story of escaping iran and moving to italy and why you came to canada and all of that and as a 12 year old kid i i suspect that you're probably sort of i mean that's a time when you're sort of starting to find your identity anyway as as a teenage person of the world or an almost teenage person and then you see mm-hmm. colm wilkinson uh, as you know in this amazing production that has become that like you're just associated with phantom and i know that you are so much more than that uh and we'll get to that uh in a bit but what was it about the production what was it was it Colm specifically was it phantom specifically what was it that was like this clicks with me this makes me want to change my life it would have been a marriage of the of the two the production itself at that point music was speaking to me and it, i remember having records of uh, Johnny Cash, Ray Charles, Tracy Chapman, cassette tapes of the Tragically Hip. And there was something about these voices that had some sort of history in them, an emotion, a story uh, that would speak to my heart. And so then when you get calm with such a unique voice, it's different from anyone on that stage. And at this point, I know nothing about music theater apart from hearing the original production, because in grade seven, part of our English, our, our English teacher, part of the lessons, we studied the Phantom. I had no idea what it was, but she printed off the script and we're listening to the music, talking about the part and whatnot. And I thought, this sounds pretty cool. So we got to a trip to go see it. And the only reason I, I went was because it's a day off school and you go on a trip. But I was never thinking, I want to go see theater. I was a hockey player. I was, we were playing hockey all the time. You know, we, we would get into fights and I was just a typical boisterous young guy, you know. Right. But when I saw that performance, that part, um, I think I got my mother's emotion in me because I'm, I'm a very emotional guy, even though I wanted to be a tough guy or I acted like one. <laughs> but more, I'm probably overcompensating because I was so super emotional. I remember being floored by the story, by this, this character so so flawed but that it's that nature versus nurture thing and then you have this such a unique voice like calm's voice just picks your soul up for those two and a half hours and then drops them off when he's when he feels uh, i'm i'm done and i remember thinking i want to do that i want to first of all i want to add that as a 12 year old i want to walk through a mirror i want to be <laughs> up in an angel and do all these cool things right <laughs> And then I also had that thing of, I want to make people feel like this. So I left that day thinking, maybe I want to do that. And then at 16, I was in, and I don't know why, I was in an enriched English class because I was terrible at school. But I daydreamed so much. And doing this enriched English class was perfect. I may not have got the grades, but the theme of the year was vocation. And then for one of our projects, it was about, what's your vocation? You know, you know, in life, sometimes you don't end up doing your vocation, right? Mm-hmm. I said, well, I want, I want to be an actor. I want to, if I had to choose, I want to play the Phantom. In the oddest way. And she's like, well, maybe you should go job shadow him. I said, sure. Then I'm thinking, how, how, who do I call? What do I do? Somehow I ended up phoning to the production company. And this is a kid. I don't know anything about how to go about doing this. 
but somehow I knew to phone a really useful company. I, whoever I spoke to, I said, I'm Ramin, 16 years old. I'm in high school at Alexander McKenzie High School in Richmond Hill. I got a, I want a job shadow of the Phantom for a project. And it must have been my lucky day because they seemed to like the idea and they connected it with the Toronto Star so they can do a piece on it, make it a promotional thing. But again, all this is going on in our head. I'm, I don't care who's there. I just want to hang with the Phantom and figure out how do you do this? And I ended up doing that. And we spent the whole day watching the makeup process. We talked for ages. At that point, the Phantom was Peter Carey, mm. a Welsh Phantom. Electric, electrifying he was. And it, it, so different from Calm in his own way and just did his own thing. And he was so kind to me that day. And he gave me some cool advice. But the one thing I'll never forget. So there I am, 16. And he says, Ramin, it's going to take up to 15 years. By that point, if you're still sticking around doing it, it'll happen. And he goes, he had a theory of it, the 15 years that it, it separates those who will and those who won't. And then at 26, when I got the part, I beat the timeline. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, that uh, that's, that's, I think it, it just speaks to the drive. It's, you know, we, we've said before on the podcast so many times that like, if you can see yourself doing anything else, do that, do, do that other thing, because you need the drive, you need the perseverance, because it's not a happy business when you're starting out. And even when you're in a job, you know, in a contract, you're looking for your next job. Like at any moment, your current show you're having fun with and is paying your health insurance could just close. And or a global mm. pandemic could come. Obviously, that's going to be few and far between. But there's reasons things close all the time or financing falls through or whatever. But it is it's super, super tough. And I think, well, you skipped over a little bit. Well, maybe you didn't actually got, haven't gotten there yet. I didn't know the stuff about 16 and then 18 dropped out of school of high school. Right. And got a job on a cruise ship. And that brought you back into, well, okay, connect the dots for me. So you're talking, you're in Phantom, you're at 16, you're, you're in that mode. And then cruise ship world is a much different place. Well, the one thing I forgot, uh, I should say is around that time, being the Phantom too, at 16, when I did the job shadow thing, my buddy, my best friend in high school, we ended up making a bet that I'd become the, the Phantom. And I said, I want to be a young phantom too. Because in my head, I remember talking to one of my uncles who he ended up grilling me about the story and asked me questions. And for me, I found that odd, especially as an Iranian, you know, as an Iranian kid, my father's like, you're gonna be a doctor. I'm like, have you seen my grades? <laughs> um, <laughs> he, I remember him questioning me about that and, you know, about love and why he did the things he did and why he turned out the way he did, not necessarily aesthetically, but his actions thinking, what if he was young? And this is just a, a 16 year old teenager thinking about it out loud. And I thought, well, let me try and get him to play young. And maybe I can do that, be that guy. So that was the bet I made. And I remember I was working in a sports bar as a cook and dishwasher doing all that. But that was the, my best life lessons because the bar owner, Mike Nelson, he was like a, an older brother slash father, father figure as well. He taught me so much about life, the school of life. He was the dean, you know, from anything at that point, from girls to fighting. He taught me how to fight. He taught me, we play sports, about working, taking care of your mom, being respectful and being just a, a decent human being based on a lot of his experiences. Staying in trouble, but out of trouble at the same time, you know, like 
he wanted me to enjoy life, but there's certain enjoyments that he says, if I ever catch you doing such and such, such and such, I'm going to kick your ass. And to this day, I'll always remember that. And I believed it because we were around certain things, exposed to certain things in life. And um, he just wanted to make sure, not hide me from it, but choose not to go down those roads. And I learned a lot by seeing working in that bar till it closed and seeing some of the stories that were still there at certain times of the night. And, I, and he would just say, don't be like this. When he introduced me to his girl, he would go, and when I grew up, they called me Raman. He goes, Raman, tell em Emro what you want to do for a living. I said, no, what are you talking about? He goes, no, tell him. He goes, he wants to be the Phantom of the Opera. How cool is that? And I remember thinking, <laughs> oh, if Mikey thinks that's cool, then it is cool. I'm going to do it. But it's amazing how when somebody encourages you or puts that, like, that drive into you to chase your passion. And I remember when I was thinking of, like, taking some sort of course, he goes, why do you want to do that? You want to be the Phantom? I said, well, what if I, I'll, it's just a fallback thing. He goes, if you take a fallback thing, you're going to fall back. And I guess he was right. Now, it's a scary advice. I'm, that's why I don't do workshops. I don't offer myself to do workshops because I'll probably give the worst advice. But at that point, what do I have to lose? You might as well just go for your, keep chasing your passions. I think you should always chase your passions. But at 16 and 18 and 20, when you got no responsibility, so keep go, at least try to get that thing you want to do. Yeah, yeah. What's the worst? At that point, I have nothing to begin with. I'll remain with that, but at least I, I've got this experience and this effort. You know, I, I guess failure comes from not, it's not about not succeeding. Failure is not trying. So after the cruise ship, the cruise ship life, you came back to London, though, when if, if you're going to be acting, I guess, why London versus New York? Or was, I guess, the Phantom, Phantom was already in, in London, right? So it wasn't in New York at this point yet? Is that why you went back there? Like, is it to find your life that specifically? Well, the home of Phantom is Her Majesty's Theatre here in London. Um, do you know what brought me here? Besides, you know, I always say I came for the work and I stayed for the girl. <laughs> but I was working on a cruise ship and I was enjoying life on a cruise ship. Let me tell you, just single dude singing and just seeing the world. There was a guest act on there who had done some leading West End work and he gave me grief on, he probably didn't, I don't know if he didn't like me or was jealous of me because I was getting attention, but I'm thinking, I'm not just a kid. You're an adult, smart enough. You know, it's like, what's your problem? You're saying you'll never make it. You need to do such and such to make it because that's the route he took. And I think, well, I don't fucking care what you did. I, I don't, I think that's great. You've done great. That was your road. This is my road during the day. As much as I've seen the world, I also had a ton of books on anything. I would read so much on acting and I would, if Pacino mentioned something in an interview about Uta Hagen or Lee Strasberg, I'd go get those books because, well, if, if they read it, I should read it because I want to be even half as good as them. That's my goal, you know? And I learned a, that there's always several roads you can take to reach a destination. And I remember he, he gave me such grief that it did affect me in a way, I'll, I'll never forget it, because he specifically said, you need a good agent. Like, you know, there's this, like, people like Michael Garrett. That name stuck in my head. And I thought, well, if he's done leading roles in the West End, and I didn't rate him, but I, I, I don't want to talk bad about anyone, 
whether I like what they do or not. I don't lead with hate. No one in this world I'll never hate on because I don't want that on my heart. All I thought was if he can get leading roles, I know I can go get even the smallest role and just learn. That was all my ambition was, just to get on stage. So I moved to England because at that point I met Mandy, who was my boss, now my wife. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, let's give it a go in England. I was in a dance studio taking some dance lessons. So I thought, well, I, I got to learn, do something. And there was a big board of like, learn some songs for auditions. I said, I, I should learn some songs. So I just did that, took this number, went to this guy's house, started singing. And he was like, how long have you been training? I said, I've never had singing lessons. And he liked the rawness and the range. So he goes, come back next week. My friend's an agent and I want you to sing for him. And I like, oh, here we go. Because I'm also... Wow, that fast. Yeah, but at this point, I'm not thinking this is bona fide. I think he's probably talking shit. Right. So I go back next week because I got nothing else to do. He goes, this is my friend who's an agent. I said, hi, I'm Ramin. He goes, hi, I'm Michael Garrett. Whoa. Yeah. That's the guy. And I was like, two years ago. That guy told me this is never going to happen. Now you're here. And uh, we hit it off. And I loved what he said. He goes, I dig what you do. And uh, I can't promise you anything, but I, I definitely would try and get you auditions. I said, perfect. That's all I need. Because the rest is up to me. To this day, we're still mates. We're no longer uh, no longer my agent, but uh, I have nothing bad to say about him. I think he's one of the better agents out there. He's uh, We had seven great years. He started things off for me. And... I couldn't think of like, I was like, wow, it all sort of lined up. That's really, really cool. And I mean, the the rest of your career and a lot of it is is very public. And I want to skip over, not public, just, um, and then it's exposed. I just mean like it's well known. So I want to skip over the stuff that anyone else can already read about. But well, I'm glad you do that. <laughs> well, there's, there's, yeah, I want to I get something different. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. You actually, you wanted to talk about your company that you started. So tell me about that. Well, that's what I decided to think. When this pandemic hit, the first three or four months, for many reasons, was just crazy. The world got turned upside down for so many different reasons. Like the year started with, what did they say? Like 20% of the world's oxygen on fire with the Brazil mm -hmm. forest fires. And then the first three, four months, man, I just, all I cared about was my kids. I didn't care about anything else. I just want to make sure they were all right. Blood is thicker than water, man. My only concern was get them through it, make sure they're okay, make sure their heart is okay, make sure they're mentally they're okay, because that's most important thing. I certainly don't apologize for that. <laughs> and uh, then after a while, I started thinking, well, I gotta do something. I gotta practice or be creative. And as as the year went on, there were things we started doing online. All that started popping up, and some things were. Uh, you can see how people were trying to create because that's all it's also it's in our blood it's what we love to to do it doesn't define who i am i don't put any value necessarily as, as when people go who's ramin i don't no longer say well part of who i am is an actor it's not it's what i do but i love doing it and i want to keep doing it so i was thinking how can we start doing things and at that point i also wanted to start a little side passion project a clothing line 8x apparel which is inspired by doing eight shows a week but when the pandemic hit, I shelved it because I thought, well, now's not a good time to offer something like that because everyone, I don't want to, 
people's got to hold on to their money. So I shelved it. I waited a year, and now we're rolling it out now, even though it's pandemic's going on. But at some point, we just got to start, and what will be will be. I decided to finally do a stream with my band, and uh, we did a couple prior to that, and I really enjoyed doing it. But based on those experiences, the third one, I was like, I I, I know what I want to do with this, but I want to do it on my on my own. One of my agents, Alexandra, who's like a business partner now, she's amazing. Her twin brothers are a film crew. So I went, met with them, talked my ideas, and they said, why don't you have your own company? You should be producing yourself. I said, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> From that moment, again, when someone puts a seed in my head, I'll dive in not knowing how deep it is, but I'll just go for it and just see what happens. Within 48 hours, I had a new business manager, a company, a production company, a merchandise company. And I was like, okay, now what I want to do with both is obviously the well is empty. Nobody drinks. You fill the well, everybody drinks. So I want to just try and fill the well and then try and use what, if there's profits from one, what can we do next? And sort of like one for me, one for them, one for me, one for them. So with this production company, we did an amazing stream that I'm super proud of. It was successful to a certain extent. So now I'm working with someone else to try and get her album made a stream of her passion her passion is to make a gospel album so i'm like well let's see if i can help so we're discussing to doing that and i'm learning how to produce that on the fly but i think if we can if i'm in any position to help create things one it's fun it fulfills my passion because i don't know sometimes i have days where i'm like maybe i don't want to sing or be on stage anymore but i want to do something else and if I love the idea of like, if this actually gets someone else, one of their dreams come true, that would be amazing as well. And I would be fulfilled doing that too. So that's the idea. And that's, that sprung out of being sat around thinking, well, I don't want to just sing for my supper anymore. You know, I want to create, I want to, you know, I've always done what I want to do. I guess I'll continue to do that because we, we, we get one life. And if there's ways we can do it with friends and support each other and, encourage each other, empower each other, then give it a go at least. Well, that that is really great to take us into actually your podcast, The Hang, because it started pre-pandemic. You paused it at the beginning of the pandemic. And as you said, you know, you focused on your family and your children. And now in the middle of pandemic, you've picked it back up again. And, and it's been some of, listening to it myself, it's been some of the most just real and authentic conversations that I've heard from from anybody and and social media on the internet is, is really good about bringing people together and giving us access to people that you know even a decade ago we wouldn't be able to have access to and just you know as the kids say you slip into the dms and all of a sudden you've got a great relationship with somebody and it's really really cool how all this stuff plays out but you know to hear how your friendships with these people have evolved and how things have been going on and and I personally I feel you're probably the same way that I personally continue to do this podcast as difficult as it is not being in a physical studio face to face because it's for me, it's a bit of a catharsis. It's a bit of a therapy session because we can be real. And I and I it, uh, similar to what you just said, I get so much satisfaction out of bringing stories and uh, happiness to people and the feedback we get from people listening to these episodes of just hearing these personal stories from people that they've never heard these stories from before is incredible and it's fulfilling to me and that's why I do it and so I'm projecting a little bit because I think you're sort of the same way as that you know as hard as the podcast is podcasting ain't easy uh, 
that mm. uh, you feel it's a personal satisfaction. You feel good about just a connecting with your friends when you can't physically be with them anyway, but then B yeah. you're bringing these stories to the world for people and, and, and showing like Sierra Bogus and uh, Dynamo and these other people that you've had on your podcast, just they're known for something, but there's so much more to them. And that's what you're bringing out. Yeah. And well, I'm glad you, th you think that it was hard for me to start it because I want to find that balance because, you know, that everyone talks about being accessible, but as an actor, you want to play characters. So I don't want to be that accessible because you want to lose yourself in the part. And I want people to lose themselves when they see, you know, Ramin should not exist. It should be Che or Archibald Craven or Gleb. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't know what the right balance for that is. That's a work in progress. But you also, the hang, I wanted to use the platform, not for Mia, because I started the podcast too, because I was getting a little bored of myself. <laughs> and there's only so many songs I can sing for my Instagram, because I feel like when I look at my Instagram, I'm like, that's a lot of me. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's uh, share the platform if we can. And I got a lot of talented friends who sometimes... I don't know, need to push, need to get their voices out there, get their stories out there. So that was the point of the hang. And now I've, I feel like I've been re-inspired to do more, especially when I see what you did with yours and Leslie Odom Jr., which again, see, when I see stuff like that, it makes me go, what am I doing a podcast for? Because that was so <laughs> in-depth and you hit some really emotionally beautiful moments too. But I, I don't know if you can plan for that because it, it just, you vibe off, vibe off each other and and uh, it's like an improv, right? And just see where it goes. But that's why some of my favorite podcasts is when Simon Bailey spoke, uh, Ken McGraw, and there's some new ones coming out, Rachel John, who I've, I've just done. And the idea of thinking, you know, for some crazy reason, I got a lot of supporters on my Instagram. So the idea of thinking, oh, they're going to meet these people for the first time brings me joy because... I know how much my friend brings me joy, and now he's going to bring that to everyone. Earl Carpenter, his podcast that he did on The Hang was amazing, and the reaction, because he was so candid about mental health and his position in this industry and what hap where, what he's going through. And I did not expect that at all. It was cool to facilitate that, because right. that has nothing to do with me. That's Earl. BPN have backed me to do a podcast. And I, half the time, some of my jobs, even Valjean, I didn't want to do it. But when other people encourage you so much and think it's a good idea even if i don't i think well why do they think it's such a good idea well maybe i should let me just go to this party and see what happens <laughs> because when people have more faith in you than you have in yourself you should explore that yeah completely i completely can relate to that and and like you said it's just listening it's giving them the opportunity and people are itching to talk about this stuff sometimes they they want the medium and i think podcasting is a great platform for this because you're disarming you talk with the people you're friends with these people and realistically it's just the two of you having this conversation i mean there might be an engineer in the room if you're in a physical studio or they're monitoring or whatever but you're having a private conversation that just happens to be recorded and shared with the world later mm -hmm. but in the moment you know you talk about losing yourself in the moment earlier that that i think that's part of your success on stage too is that you're just one of these people that 
when they talk, when they see you, they want to talk to you because you're authentically listening. You're gen, like in your eyes. I'm looking at you right now. You're you're hearing what I'm saying, and pe- it makes people want to talk. And and yeah, being disarmed, being accepting, being non-judgmental, uh, it goes a very long way into you know far beyond what a lot of people understand. I think on a surface level and can put into words. So podcast host to host, I think you're doing a very good job. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah. Thanks, man. Well, I get nervous, though, because I don't think, because of my lack of education, I'm not the smartest guy, and I don't I don't feel I speak well. That's why I like to act or sing other people's words. It's easier when they tell me what to say. So it was a, a, slight, a slight exercise for myself to have a live conversation, even though I still edit it. But yeah, I get nervous talking. That's why I do less and less interviews. That's why I don't do many podcasts as the guest. But like, yeah, it's it's great to use that platform for people I look up to as well and people I love. When you talk about, before we got into all this, you were like, well, if there's anything that we've talked about before that I've personally talked about that they can find online, let them find online. That's why I don't really like talking about Phantom anymore. I, I don't know what more I can say. I haven't done the part in over 10 years. So it's sort of like... <laughs> Everything I'm willing to share about my time with that, I've said it. Anything that's been left, that's for my memories. So that's why I've, when people talk about Phantom heavily in interviews, I'm like, this is, I'm going to start making stuff up just to keep it interesting for myself. <laughs> so what, what, that, what I mean by sharing that is like, I don't want to really self-promote anymore unless it's a new product, a new show, uh, the, uh, the, the clothing line, which will be fun, any upcoming concerts. But I'm not doing that all the time right now. There's only so many workout videos I can post. <laughs> Solely deleting my social media. I've come off Twitter and I'm like, and my friend's like, don't come off Instagram. You got promote. It's part of your career. I'm like, it's not. <laughs> and I do on stage as part of my career. But it's a good billboard. And that's how I see Instagram. I don't see it as changing the world. I think what you do in your life changes the world, not what you say on Instagram. I agree. And that that's a, that is a rare breed, though. I'm, all, I'm never going to use it. Yeah, I'm never going to use it for that. I'm not politically, publicly politically driven. Social media is not about reasoned and nuanced conversation. And I'm not there to shock people. I'm not there. I'm there to try and dive into joy, grace, and community. And I think if if that upsets people, that it's not enough, unfollow me. Don't come see me in the shows. But my intention is to keep growing myself and growing with people. That's wonderful. A rising tide lifts all ships. A similar phrase to what you said earlier of uh, what everybody drinks when the teapot's full or something. Probably <laughs> sounds like the British version of that. When the well is dry, nobody drinks. Oh. <laughs> so I, I made it British by making it a teapot. <laughs> you know, I grew up with, you know, certain values and whatnot. And I remember one thing I learned was also and it's hard because you want for certain things for people to be aware of. But it's a thing of like if more than two people know of your charitable efforts, you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons too. Right. And I, I believe there's a lot of truth in that. But I guess it's navigating getting a good message out rather than patting yourself on the back. Right. Yeah. If the accolades come to you through others because you're doing a good job, it's different from you going out on a platform and saying, look how great I am. In all walks of life, if that is the reason you're doing it, you're not going to move the needle. Right. And I think that's 
uh, as a friend told me once, it's the difference of uh, ego versus essence, right? If you're doing it for your ego, that's a completely right. different thing than if you're doing it because it's who you are and it's who you want to be. Right. So I know you are short on time and I want to get to our three standard closing questions that I ask everybody to wrap up the episodes. The first one, very simply, what motivates you? Learning. All right. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Don't make decisions based on emotion slash panic. Oh, I like that. Okay. That's different. I like it. Last question. This is the hardest one. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you could see it as many times as you want, what would you see? It's like I'm fighting to say what's literally here, but I guess it would have to be lame is because it's so generational. And the only thing, I, the way I'll, I'll explain that is I remember I came out as when I was doing Valjean in Toronto and there was literally a family at Sejour of four or five different generations. And I remember I looked at each one and they were all in chronological order. I was like, who's your favorite character? And each one gave me a different one because of where they were in their lives and what they related to. And I remembered when I was a kid and I first heard Les Mis, my heart and spirit went to a certain character. It no longer does that because of the age I'm at. I'm a father now. So through the years, it went to different characters. So I guess Les Mis is the gift that keeps on giving. But I know there's so many equally beautiful shows out there. But for something to keep going back to because of that music as well. Yeah. It's hard, man. Our, our, our industry is full of incredible shows. I know. I know. And and the, the range of answers I've gotten for this question has been astronomical. Number one by far, though, is Sweeney Todd. And then everything else is like a tie for a second. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. All right. So now I, I know that you mentioned you're getting off of social media, but tell us where we can look up uh, 8X. Tell us where we can listen to your music. Where can we find you on Instagram? Where, where, where can we connect with you everywhere online? Well... You say I, I said I'm going to get off social media. That's not going to age well because I probably won't. <laughs> let's be honest, because it is a good tool. And look, again, there's good, there's amazing things you can do for it. And if if it brings joy and puts people in a happy place, and also we got messages to get out there, things mm -hmm. to promote. Like I said, it's a billboard. Um, so Instagram at Ramin Karamlu. Uh, what else? Am I on? My website, but I, I got to start updating that. Yeah, 8X Community, that's on Instagram. And it's not just about working out. It's about being better than yesterday. You know, it's about the ethics and sacrifices you take to do eight shows a week. People are in there helping each other, just checking in, being accountable for yourself. I think that's great. And that's organically growing. It's not like you don't have to buy anything to be there. It's not membership or anything like that. Um, what else am I on? I think there's a Facebook page I've got. But YouTube, my YouTube is a roaming Iranian, and I put a lot of music on there, which I'm going to start doing more again now that uh, I got, it's been crazy Christmas. I had COVID, and then I've been still filming and doing stuff, so getting back into the swing of things. Yep. And then, of course, The Hang, vpn.fm slash The Hang, and you can... Also subscribe to it of wherever course. you're listening now to this. Uh, there's As the Curtain Rises, which you are just incredible. I love, actually, <laughs> for those, a uh, little known fact, um, the final cut, I don't know if you've listened to yourself in the, in the episode yet where you audition for the Avatar musical, but you, 
But you're asking you're asking us, you know, Ramin to Alan and Dory, the the director. Uh, you're asking us. You're like, well, okay, I sing the song. So should I do it like a more phantomy version? And then like we had you sing it again, or you sang it again is like in your own way. And all of that made it into the final cut. Like that's part of the public episode that wasn't released because we had you sing it the normal way. And you're like, well, can I do like a phantomy version? So that made it in, and it's brilliant. Yeah, it was it was absolutely gorgeous. So. There you go. For those of you listening now, I believe I believe it's episode seven. I have so much fun doing that, and I look forward to doing some more. Like I'm already thinking, when's the next one's out that we have to record? That was super fun. <laughs> you can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. Please help show your support for the podcast at thetheaterpodcast.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Find me on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. I'm on Facebook slash official theater podcast. Music by Jukebox the Ghost. Um... Gosh, thank you so much for this conversation. This has been absolutely incredible. Thank you for your time. I didn't know you were that selective about interviews, so I'm very, very honored to have this conversation today. Oh, man, I appreciate that. You know, I I adore what you guys do, and I think you're a great guy as well. I just hope I gave you something insightful, brother. (laughs) (laughs) You did. It's just you. It's all about you, man. I love it. I'm not that interesting, bro. It's You'd be surprised. People, People talk, and they think... I think it's the most, some of the most humble people that make it to greatness because they don't, like you said, they're not doing it for the ego. They're doing it because they want to do good. And you had to perform. You had to get on stage because that is, that would make you whole. And now you've gotten there and now you are a whole person. And now you're at this point that you want to be a bigger person. You want to grow and you want to be a better person. And then as you keep saying, paying it forward. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.